everybody what's going on welcome to another episode of your intention matters the podcast my name of course is still paul madat thanks very much for joining me today i have tim sturgeon he is general manager of essex energy corporation coming to us from the six tim toronto how are things man things are great thanks for having me on today paul you really bet. now listen it. do you know about the six because you and i are kind of in the same generation the six i'm a toronto boy as you are but we didn't grow up with toronto being known as the six so no yeah six sort of developed didn't it that i think that it was drake identity. yeah i think it was drake who brought it in right so yeah well listen good to meet you uh thanks for being here say hi to everybody and then we'll jump into your episode Hello to everybody, and uh, thanks for listening in today's podcast. Great. Tim, who are you? Tell them a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a guy that's been involved with marketing and sales for the last 30 years, married with a child who's getting ready to go to college, and uh, getting to that point in life where I've realized it's time to start sharing some of the things I've learned. All right. I look at too many people who are, are struggling to get to where I am. And if no one helped me, I wouldn't be where I am today. I love it. All right. Well, let's get into it then. So as you know, we were talking about it before I hit record. Your intention matters is the title of this podcast. And that's really because nothing's really been given to any of us. And it all starts with what's up top. And we all have different paths and big decisions to make. And most of us aren't doing today in 2021, what we thought we'd be doing when we first started our career. And so with that said, uh, let's go back in time here. We're going to go back to, let's go back to the early mid nineties, University of Manitoba. You graduate with uh, a degree, if I have this right, economics, history, classical studies, and kind of under that umbrella. Do you remember going back, Tim, we go back 25 years or so now, almost 30 years now. Geez, what am I saying? It's almost 30 years. Um, do you remember what you thought you'd be doing? Did you have a vision for when you were ready to plant your flag out there? Yes and no. And and the reason I say yes and no is in the early 90s, you may remember because we're close to the same age, there was a recession going on. Yep. I'd gone back to finish my degree later in life. And all of the, the people I was going to school with and classes with were lamenting the fact that they didn't have a summer job. And I sat there and went, yeah, summer jobs aren't going to be there this year the way that they've normally been. So I started my own business. I started a landscaping business, so I cut grass. I had a buddy in architectural design, environmental design, so he did landscape designs for me. So I did that. That's how I put myself through university and supported my family. And then in the wintertime, because it's Manitoba, it's Winnipeg, it's cold, I pushed snow. I've had a, a roster of 18 clients that I cleared their driveways and cleared their sidewalks of snow on a contract basis. So that's sort of a, a long-winded answer to say, I thought I'd end up somewhere in business. I thought I'd have my own business, but I found after a while, especially in the small business pen, unless you found a banker that really liked you, your chances of getting capital to grow aren't really good. Interesting. 
Yeah. You know, so. you know, Tim, the, the entrepreneurial bug, did that come from your parents? Were either one of them in that domain and kind of doing their own thing? Like, where did that come from outside of the landscaping part of it? But just the idea of, uh, of owner as your title versus employee early on in your career. Yeah, my dad had his own business the whole time I was growing up as a kid. Uh, we were in the car business in the daily rental and fleets. So my dad uh, started that in Winnipeg uh, with a company called Airways Rent-A-Car. And it was a completely Canadian chain at that point back in 19. Super friendly, I bet. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody wore a pilot's coat or a stewardess uniform. Right. Um, but no. So, yeah, I, I learned that growing up working for my dad. But then at the same time. I'll never forget when I turned 16, you know, after the family birthday party, my dad put his arm around me and said, you're fired. <laughs> and I said, okay, what did I do? And yeah. he goes, no, you're 16. Now you've worked for me for the past number of years. It's time for you to go get another job and work for somebody else and learn from them. Nice. Uh, and so what did I do? I went out and talked to a bunch of people I knew through contacts with my father and one was a housing developer. He was building houses. And it was at that point, we lived in Calgary and the housing boom, the oil boom of the late seventies was on. And this guy had a condo development. And so for the month of August and half of July, I stained all the cedar in these condos and it was beautiful, clear red cedar. And he gave me this, the, the stain and all I had to do was get it up. And so I did that for the summer and then wrote an invoice at the end of the year or the end of the summer and got paid. And my dad looked at me and said, this isn't really what I had in mind. <laughs> I wanted you to have to go work for somebody, not yourself, but I enjoyed it. And so that kind of took off from there. You know, Tim, so when you talk about getting into landscaping, uh, so being self-employed myself now, I kind of know what it takes to get a business off the ground and kind of it's a different animal than being an employee. It's both hard, but they're different. And I have, I have a couple of family members who are in the landscaping game. And, and the way that it shows up to me is that there's a lot of hours in, in that business in terms of it. And, and then it's also that there's a lot of variables because it's really dependent upon the weather. So you talked about in Manitoba, and there must have been lots of days where you were like in the plow after a major snowstorm, like might've been 12, 15 hours because you're getting dumped on. And other times there must've been where there's a bit of a lapse here. So did you enjoy that type of industry? And, and did you actually enjoy, you know, kind of running your own business at that time? I did enjoy it. Uh, the, the, the lapses were good because, you know, I was in my last year and a half of university. So that gave me time to get, you know, your projects yeah. and all of that and readings done. But then I would sit down with profs before the beginning of the semester and say, look, this is how I'm putting myself through school. So if I'm not in class for a day, don't think that I'm skipping out. This is what I'm doing. And right. I was really lucky. I only had one prof who I had to sell on the idea. The rest of them got it. They said, yeah, you're, you're married, you're supporting a family. So you're doing what you got to do. Don't have a problem. But that one prof that I had to sell taught me that you've got to ask what the obstacles are. Yeah. And that's one thing I think that's universal in sales, right? Is if you don't know what the obstacles are, how do you approach them? And it taught me the biggest thing is, which is 
ask what the obstacles are. Hmm. And so, so when did you get into like actual direct sales then? At what point in your career did you kind of shut the landscaping business down and what was behind that? Well, uh, I was doing direct sales because if I didn't do sales for the business, we didn't have any clients. So, and you always have to look at the fact you're going to lose 10% of them a year for whatever reason they move, they do this, do that. So you're always trying to grow. So I was doing direct sales there. I found I enjoyed it and then started doing work for a company called Custom Images, managing their sales and marketing because I really wanted to grow the landscaping business. I had ways to do it, but the banks just looked at you and went, you're too small, not interested. You know, so how do you get capital? So right. I had an unsolicited offer come in from a competitor who said, look, you're biting into my territory, so I'm just going to buy out. So oh. I, I sold the business and then went to work for custom images, doing their sales and marketing and really enjoyed it. From there, I was doing some part-time contract work through a third party to HP. And that's how I ended up in Toronto they liked what I was doing there. And they said, would you do it full-time and come to Toronto? Cool. And so this was around when? Still in the 90s or into the 2000s by now? No, I was, it's the late 90s, 97. It was September of 97. I so came here. So September 97, you get into technology sales through HP indirectly, and then you move to Toronto. And how long was your stint at HP? Only a couple of years because uh, I was working through a third party and there was all sorts of headaches with that. And I finally just... It, it, the the third party and HP always were having arguments. Mm. And then you get caught in the background as the contract employee between the two parties. And so that ended and I went to Lexmark and I loved Lexmark. It was a great, uh, I guess what, seven years I was there. That's a long haul. And I know I worked at Xerox for almost 10. So that industry, it's, it's great, but it's no picnic either because it, it's very competitive and a lot of work, a lot of pressure on the number. And so your, your transition from HP to Lexmark, was it uh, seamless or was there a gap in between? And um, what was it like moving into Lexmark? There was a small gap, a couple of months. Uh, and then I was brought in as part of their uh, supplies team. And we had a product because HP didn't actually own their own laser printing technology it's cold the patents are coned or at least were at that time with canon and and ibm mm. and ibm's print division became lexmark so lexmark co-owned these patents for that all-inclusive or all-in-one toner cartridge and so what that afforded lexmark to do is make brand new toner cartridges that fit into hp machines so like, you know, your six L's, your four thousands and all of these type of machines. Yeah. Lexmark could produce a cartridge that was brand new, not remanufactured and sell it at about 15 to 20% less than the HP. So seven years at Lexmark, all in, all in direct sales. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I worked in the same space right around that same time at Xerox. And I knew that it was, it was a challenge for me to kind of figure it out because technology sometimes is very commoditized and, and a lot, lot of competition. And so uh, seven years, you must've figured something out pretty good. Um, was it your choice to move on or was it theirs after the seven years or so? It was my choice. I'd been there seven years. 
uh, as you pointed out from your time at Xerox, the market was becoming more commoditized and printers were morphing into copiers and copiers were morphing into printers. And I really looked at and went, is this what I want to do? And at that point, I joined uh, a company representing them for Canada called Shopper Track, which did business intelligence, which really wasn't a huge jump in the technology space from, from what I was doing. So I, I worked for them for a couple of years, but their biggest concern was I'd get things signed, contracts. I got you know things signed with Scholar's Choice, uh, Hugo Boss. Um, those are two of the big ones I remember. Uh, we had a Harley Davidson uh, deal done for all their dealers in Canada and they couldn't get things installed Hmm. and nothing to me kills enthusiasm more than you sign a deal. And then you have to say, sorry, we can't fulfill it. And and where was this? This was shopper Shopper track RCT. They're now by, uh, I think Tyco has since bought them. Oh, I see. But uh, at the time it was a small company probably a hundred employees worldwide with a couple of franchisees in different parts of the world. But uh, their primary base was the U S and Western Europe and they wanted into Canada. And then I had to educate them on the fact that Canada's population is the size of California. Right. And they kind of went, well, what do you mean? I went, well, there's only at that point, 35 million Canadians. Right. Most of the population sits within 300 kilometers of the border. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, And they said, okay, so we're not going to have pie in the sky ideas anymore, but we still need you to hit these type of numbers. And I said, that's fine. Went out, you know, had great means with companies like Aldo Shoes, um, uh, different clothing manufacturers and clothing stores, got contracts signed. But again, at the end of the day, it came down to the fact they couldn't get their equipment installed in Canada. Like they just couldn't seem to get, uh, get, get their act together to make it happen. You know, what, one of the factors behind my departure from, from that industry, while I had a just great love for Xerox as a company because they gave me my shot and great people that I ever met and so on. But what I, for me personally, after about 10 years within that space, I just became a little bit bored with their technology after selling it for that length of time. And so, you know, when did you get out of uh, out of that space, and when did you get into a different industry? Because you're somewhere different now. When did you get out of that into what you're doing now? Yeah, putting marks on paper. Yeah, you're right. It gets to be monotonous. It's commoditized. You're fighting features and benefits don't matter anymore. Just put a mark on the paper and do it for the yeah. cheapest price. And so, an opportunity uh, afforded itself. Uh, with Rodan that I joined them as a director over their demand response program. That was a, then it was the Ontario power authority, which was an arm's length government uh, organization, because at that point the electricity grid in Ontario was stretched to its breaking point. And in some cases was breaking. And so I looked at that and went, you know what, if there's a time to jump, uh, verticals. I think this is it. And so I got into that. I was one of their top uh, dev- sales development guys for DR when I was there. Yep. Then moved over and, and managed their 
utility services division, introduced the brand to the United States and got them into places there. But it was a small shop and there was two partners and, uh, you know, I wasn't going to go anywhere else. Like there was like, they owned it, they ran it. So that's as far as I was going to go. And that led to me going to a company called Berman. And I started as their senior director of sales and marketing. I put some processes in place. Uh, we started winning more RFPs because prior to that, they didn't really understand. They just kept throwing, you know, different proposals out, hoping stuff would stick. And I go, right. you can't do that, right? you got to talk to people first so you know what to write in the RFP. We started doing that. And all of a sudden, our conversion rate went from about 8% to when I left, it was seeing at about 42%. And so, so you were at Rodan, did you say around six years or so? Did I have yeah. that right? And then you were, then you went to Berman and how long were you there for? Uh, again, around six years, six, six years, six and a bit years. You know, so talk to me about the decision to, uh, to change and have that realization where great company, happy where I am and, you know, good people, but you kind of reached a bit of a ceiling in terms of what's next for you. But then you're also married. You said you're a dad. So I'm assuming you might have been a dad at that point as well. And you got responsibilities. Yep. And, and if you're in Toronto, you know, Toronto is not exactly the cheapest town in the world to, to really live any type of abundance. It's, you, you can live on a skinny branch off 100 grand a year, but it's not really the type of town that allows you to do that unless you have a second income. And so um, challenging to make that decision to move on. You got a lot of responsibilities or, or was it just, okay, no, we got to do this. I want to keep going. No, there were some definite conversations at home, you know, like, look, you know, I'm because of all the points you just made, Toronto's not cheap to live in, you know, yeah. uh, you're looking at the cost of housing, cost of insurance, you know, uh, all of that. But then my wife and I came to the realization, the only way I'm going to bridge that gap, so to speak, is to go somewhere else where I can take another step. Yeah. And that's how I tend to view my career is steps. How do you get up the stairs? One step at a time. Okay. And, uh, that's, and that's how we viewed uh, going to Berman. Um, loved being there. The, the principal, Bart Berman, was a, is, is a great guy. Like, you know, in many respects, I'd still be there. But again, you hit a glass ceiling where it's like, Bart owns the place. Bart's not sure if he wants to retire, stay on. What does he want to do? And so you kind of hit that ceiling again of, well, I want to do more, but can't. Yeah. And then another, you know, I, you know, that old saying, you know, a door closes, a window opens. Well, yeah. a window opened. And here I find myself with Essex in the same industry, but doing different things, but in a position I can bring all my experience to bear to, kind of work in a new direction. You know, I, I saw prior to us talking, I, I obviously I looked at your LinkedIn profile and I, I saw that you're relatively new at Essex, really just about six months or so, end of 2020. And I was, without having spoken with you before, I was curious about whether or not you were actually a victim of COVID, if that was a departure or reason why you moved on from Berman, but it doesn't sound like it was, you just reached another ceiling and you wanted to keep, you know, moving the paradigm in your direction. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. really what it came down to. Okay. And, and so six months, new company, still in the pandemic. Are there people that you work with you so that you still haven't actually met in the same room yet, I imagine? Uh, yes, I would say okay. most of my staff, 
have not met me face to face. They've met me virtually like through yeah. zoom and Microsoft right. teams. Uh, but you know, that's been an interesting paradigm to, to work with because they're trying to get to know me. I'm trying to get to know them. And so, you know, it's been different, but you know, I think it's been refreshingly different that you can still talk to people, see their visual cues and kind of figure out right. where they're at. You know, Tim, you've had a great run. I mean, you, you think about your, your beginnings in, in Manitoba, you have an entrepreneurial bug, you, 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 you create a, um, a landscaping company to help pay through, you know, get you through university, you move out West a little bit, even further out to Calgary. And then there's something that draws you to Toronto. You work for Lexmark, global company, good run there, seven years, six years at Rodin, you know, another six and a half or so at Berman. And now you have another uh, opportunity here. You're at Essex uh, in the middle of a pandemic and you're, you're trying to, you know, make lemonade here. And so great run, uh, married at the same time, dad and lots of responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I always like to ask anybody who's a guest on the podcast, if there was any advice or feedback that you would share, like what's been your foundation? My foundation has been being humble and being active. And by active, I don't mean just throwing spaghetti up on the wall and seeing what sticks, hmm. but being active to talk and get to know who your customers are and talk to them in ways that connect with them but being humble about either. I think we've all known the sales guy that's, you know, kind of like, Hey, I can do anything. And, and I've seen time and time again, those guys, they succeed in the short term, but never yeah. in the long term. And uh, so that's the one thing I cherish: be active, listen, and be humble. I love it. Last question for you, Tim, you're in Toronto now, uh, Leafs fan, Jets fan, Flames fan. Where's your heart? Uh, None of the above. No, I'm a, I'm a diehard uh, Flames fan, but I'm having a real hard time watching the team the last couple of years because they're not playing hockey anymore. They're almost being goons. Uh, and I find that hard. So I've kind of supplanted over to being a Jets, more of a Jets fan. I watch the Leafs, but uh, there's not that same... Uh, that same tug on my heart. Connection, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Tim, thanks so much for freeing up the time, man. It's been great speaking with you. Great speaking with you, Paul. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, you bet. All right, everybody, let's wrap another episode up right now. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result that you'll tend to get. We're out of here. We'll do it again next week. For Tim, let's go Flames. But of course, let's go Leafs.